Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 123 of Left of Skeptic. My name is Brittany Lind. And I am Kayla Moria. And we are a paranormal podcast. Yes, we are. Kayla, how are you? I'm great. Oh, good. Good. I'm great. I love that for you. My beeper graduated. Oh, I saw the phone on. And I am so proud of her. Oh, my God. She's the most photogenic person in the world, by the way, just as a side note. So not fair. So, so not fair. My boss was awesome and let me dip early from work on Friday so I could attend her high school graduation ceremony. Yeah. Where, um, and you can cut as much of this or make it look like however you want to in the in the thing here because obviously we don't have the photos to show because we're not a visual podcast. Right. But- uh, when we were sitting in there, she went down the other, we, we sat on the wrong side. Oh. So she walked down. Mm-mm-mm. So when they were about to walk off, which, um, because she goes to a private school, mm-hmm. they have a very small graduating class. It was like 35 people. Super, oh. super short ceremony. Easy peasy. Mwah, chef's love kiss. that. I love a short graduation ceremony. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I was like, okay, it's small enough. I'm like, Tara, I'm going to go dip over there real quick. Yeah. So that I can grab a picture of her walking, walking back. Yeah. And I did. And her picture, as she sees me standing on the side, she throws up like the rock and roll fingers and sticks her tongue out like, yeah. Fuck yeah. This is what's great. There is a picture of me that exists where mom got a little annoyed because she was trying to take a picture of me walking. At graduation, at graduation you did the same and thing. I stuck out my tongue and threw up the like rock and roll hand. That is so you're gonna have to get those framed side yep. by side. And then so at her grad party the next day, uh-huh. I took a picture because she was at my grad party as a baby. <gasps> like less she was born the same year I graduated or the year before. I don't like that. That weirds me out. Yeah, no, she was almost one, I think, when I graduated. <coughs> and so there's a picture of me at my grad party holding her. Yeah. And so I pretended like I was going to hold her. She's taller than me. I don't, I can't actually physically hold her, but I pretended yeah. like I was holding her. I'm going to put those photos side by side. Oh my God, that's so cute. And then we got to take one picture together at the party and then one picture with Sean at the like actual graduation. Yeah. And both times we were like, make a funny face. And both times we went to go make a funny face and we made the exact same funny face. (laughs) And even though she is not at all like me in so many ways, Uh stuff like that happens. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's my niece. (laughs) We blood girl. We blood girls. I'm so (laughs) proud of her. So, you know, (laughs) and other cool stuff happened, too. I went to go see the yeah, yeah, yeah's at the armory. And you got to go see the yeah, yeah, yeah's. And Perfume Genius, which was (sighs) Freaking rad. But honestly, all of that pales into the fact that Jada is graduated. Yeah. I think Rachel and Curtis were at the yeah, yeah, yes. Yes, they were. Didn't see them there. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that was a very, it was a sold out show and the armory is huge. So I did not think I would see them there. <laughs> no, I I think I was, the option came up like, oh, do you want free tickets to the yeah, yeah, yes through work? And I turned it down because I spent all my weekend cleaning the house. I was going to ask you what you did this weekend. How how are you doing? What's what's going on? I cleaned the house. Nice. Um, not all of it, but um, it looks like I got a tan. That's fake. I was inside the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. I, so Steve's surgery is on Thursday. Mm-hmm. So one day after this episode comes out. So 
I just wanted to try, and he's been having issues with coughing, but I think it's just because Evie is shedding a bunch, and so I just Legit. try to defer everything. Just make everything as comfortable as possible for him. Exactly, because yeah. if he coughs, it's going to hurt real bad. So, yeah. Also, just for you, like, like, because obviously you're going to be spending a lot of time helping him, mm-hmm. it's just one less thing for you to worry about while you're helping him. Exactly. You are prepared, and I am and I love it. Thank you. I'm mostly prepared. Yeah. Mostly. I'm going to say mostly prepared. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, before we get into the, you know, the normal, mm-hmm. the, the stories and the, and the whatnot, I saved a TikTok. Okay. That I did not send to you. <gasps> what? Specifically so I could I show it. Whoa. Specifically so <laughs> I could show it to you on the podcast. Okay. It could be fake. I don't know. Honestly, if it is. I don't care because it creeped me out so much and I needed to show it to you on the podcast. I will post it like I will schedule it to be posted on our thing at midnight. So anybody who listens to it right away can find it. Okay. All right. So click the very first video. It just sounds like he's talking to his dog. Pay attention to in the doorway. Nope. Nope. Just wait. Just wait. Just wait. Nope. 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 Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I don't like it. Yeah, I don't like that. That was, that was, mm-mm. And I specifically needed mm-mm. to save it to show you because I wanted to see your reaction. Mm-mm. Um, don't like that. If, don't like that at all. <laughs> if you look at his, like, like, posts, he has... Some spooky stuff because his house is very like the whole point being his house is haunted, uh-huh. but it's not all spooky stuff. So that makes me think that maybe he's not focused on that, which makes it seem less likely to be fake. It could be fake. I don't know. Either way, <laughs> if you are one of the people that listens mm. to it as soon as it's posted, mm-hmm. maybe don't watch this right before bed. <laughs> well, the people who listen to it as soon as it's posted, they do that because they're in Australia and it's not nighttime. Yes, but some people, not many, but a couple of people work night shifts. Oh, and they listen to it right away? Yes. Okay. Don't. Just don't. Especially if you're working a night shift, like a solo. Yeah, if you're in a creepy, <laughs> just wait. could be creepy place, don't. Just wait and check it in the yeah, morning. Yeah, just make it. Yeah. So <laughs> that is by Win McPicks on TikTok, and I will post it on our social media. I didn't like that. <laughs> I didn't. I did not like that that was mm, yucky, yucky. Mm-mm. Specifically, I'll post it on the Facebook. Check it on there because I can schedule on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and Instagram won't let me 
post TikToks unless it's a reel. And I don't want to steal somebody else's TikTok to post as a reel. That just seems mean. I can do them as stories. Oh, I could try that. Can I schedule that? No. All right. Well, I'll post it on, on a story as soon as I wake up then. Okay. All right. Well. <laughs> Wait, I have one more thing to say before we. We, we do our thing. Yeah. All right. Uh, I am so sorry, y'all, about last week. Stop apologizing. It was good. <laughs> and it was a little late. Who cares? It still got posted on Spooky Wednesday. Your computer was being a bitch. My computer was being a bitch. And then I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning because I needed to apparently wait hours for the thing to download. Uh, your your and Kara's mm-hmm. uh, sides. Yeah. Uh, tracks. And I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning. To edit it, normally it takes me only like two and a half hours at most yeah. to do these podcasts. And I realize it was a significantly longer podcast than normal, but I I worked on it for four and then I had to go to work. And then I, <laughs> I as soon as I got home from work, I finished working on it, but it was like an eight hour edit. So I'm sorry if anyone was a little, you know, bummed out that it wasn't there right away. But I did get it on Spooky Wednesday, but for anyone who was like really excited... To, to just listen to it right away. I appreciate your wait and uh, hanging in there. Brittany's all up in her anxiety because she's gotten spoiled by the fact that we do the podcast in person now. Yes, it's so, so much easier. Because it used to be a seven-hour edit for me when you would let me edit the podcast and we did it remotely. Yeah. Like uh, every time, and those weren't that long, and it would still be a seven-hour edit. It's it's the, when we record them on different tracks, especially over Zoom specifically, they don't always like line up. Exactly. And sometimes there's a little bit of buffering. So even if we don't notice when we're recording, there are delays mm-hmm. when I go to line up the tracks. And so, yeah, it, and with three people, it was just a lot. But I really appreciate no one said anything mean. I love it when people aren't mean to me. So thank <laughs> you. So, and that's on editing with Brittany. <laughs> yeah. It's at least a little bit more podcast related than like our car talk. I got a new car. You got a new car. It's a Toyota. Toyotas are great. I love a Toyota. Fuck yeah. It's a Prius. Digging it. Really digging it. <laughs> All right. Well, should we uh crack into it? Let's do it. Okay. And we're back. How'd y'all like that new June ad? I recorded and edited that all by myself. It's one of the things that Brittany lets me do. <laughs> Editing-wise, she does a lot of stuff otherwise. Oh, I do other stuff, yeah, no, but <laughs> editing-wise. I was so proud of myself, I cut out every little noise. Thank you. <laughs> I love that. I honestly haven't even listened to it yet. It didn't <laughs> pop up for me. Alrighty. So, this week, I am going to talk about a abandoned mental health facility. Oh, yeah. It is not actually abandoned. It is uh, on the National Register of Historic Places. Okay. But it is no longer a mental health facility. Oh, my God. Kayla. Very similar. Nice. Very. We've got a theme for this week's episode. Now, I did not. uh, I don't know what name to call it. I'll figure out what name to call it when I when I go to, like, post our promos Mm -hmm. because it's had a bunch of different names over the years. Okay. Did we do the same location? I hope not. What location did you do? 
Uh, mine's in Ohio. Nope, then we didn't do the same one. All right, we're golden. <laughs> nice singing. Thank you. Gorgeous. <laughs> we, that was a scare there. We haven't had one of those scares in a long time. <laughs> but I did not take something off of my reserve list. I didn't even think to message you. Uh, yeah, well, I, I looked at the list. I can't remember what it was, but I was like, okay, something is not what I'm doing. <laughs> but uh, I didn't even write down all of its multiple names, so I can't even tell you what they all are, but... For mine, but continue. Sorry. The most common names I found for it are the Utica Psychiatric Hospital or the Old Main. Okay. Did Ghost Adventures go there? Did Taps go there? I didn't see any. So I'll get into that. Okay. Okay. The Old Main sounds familiar. So originally named the New York State Lunatic Asylum of Utica, this building is widely considered one of the creepiest stops in upstate New York. It's had a variety of names, um, the Utica Lunatic Asylum, Utica State Hospital, Utica Psychiatric Center, and most popularly, Old Main. Okay. Um, this asylum opened in 1843 and closed in 1978. So 1843, I think, would make it older than a lot of the ones we've talked about in the past. Mm-hmm. Usually they're like late 1800s. To get the story started, I want to do a quick hashtag fun fact and talk about Dorothea Dix. Okay. Dorothea Dix was a badass from what I can tell. Dorothea was a early 19th century nurse and activist who drastically changed the medical field during her lifetime. She worked for causes for both the mentally ill and indigenous populations, and okay. she was successful in her endeavors in many ways. And additionally, Dix helped recruit nurses for the Union Army during the Civil War. As a result, she transformed the field of nursing with her multiple, like, take-ons fuck yeah so Yay, girl so just fun women in history dorothea dix look her up i Love could go that. on to for about her for a while but we're just gonna let that roll because she came up because in the early 1840s dorothea dix was beginning her lobbying efforts to call for better treatment of individuals experiencing mental health concerns prior to like the mid-1800s it was very common i think we've talked about in the past like, if somebody was experiencing mental health concerns of any kind, mm-hmm. things that we know now are just common to things that are more extreme, that it was like to lock them up and throw away the key, basically. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was, there was no care at No, all. it was basically throwing them in jail. Yep. So, and particularly for those living in institutions. So, she was conducting visi- visits to, uh, like, county-based almshouses, which mm-hmm. were the places that they would just, like, set them up there. Mm-hmm. And um, at that time, the state of New York was beginning to realize that the treatment provided in its own alms and poorhouses was deplorable. So she was kind of a spark of that. That's why she was relevant to the story. Okay. Dix published her expose entitled Memorial to the State of Massachusetts, where she reported, Insane persons can find within cages, stalls, pens, chained, naked, beaten with rods, and lashed into obedience. Oh, my God. So... She's publishing these exposés. New York was Good. already beginning to look at how they, like, use their state-run institutions. Yeah. And I feel like this probably put the extra pressure on them to do something different. Well, because with the exposés, now the public is is widely aware of how terrible things are. Exactly. Um. So they had, at this point of her exposé, already broken ground on building a new facility 
the New York State Lunatic Asylum at Utica. Okay. It was the first of its kind, not only in the state, but in the country. It was considered instrumental in setting the stage for facilities providing mental health care with an institutional setting. The old main building on campus is the first and original of the multiple buildings that followed it. So they have built and taken down multiple buildings as a part of this facility over, you know, the past 200 years almost. Right. But the old main has remained the the center of it all. Oh, it's the old and it's the main building. Exactly. <laughs> After completing the first old main building and the three foundations for others, impending cost canceled the plans, so for a while, old main stood alone for the first number of years. Considered to be one of the finest examples of Greek revival architecture in the country, uh, the front of the building boasts six limestone columns, each eight feet in diameter, standing 48 feet tall. Now, wouldn't it have been nice if instead of you know, building those big old expensive columns that they put it towards, like, patient care. But the thing is, at this time, they were focusing on making it... Beautiful. Not an eyesore, Mm -hmm. because they were putting it in the middle of, like, populations. Okay. So a lot of these types of buildings, they're they're trying to not make it look like a facility. They're trying to make it so that the locals aren't mad that it's there. Like that jail in Florida where they painted it pink. Exactly, exactly. Let's make it beautiful. Three floors and a basement with men and women divided on each wing into mostly single occupancy rooms allowed for a total of about 420 residents at the time of its building. Mm -hmm. Journal documents from the first year operations indicate that there were only a total of 41 employees to care for the 420 residents because... It operated at full capacity pretty much immediately. Yikes. And that's, you said 41 employees total? 41 employees to care for a facility that had 420. That's a 10 to 1 ratio. Well, and that's assuming that every person is on call or on staff 24-7. Well, and it said 41 employees to care for. So I don't know that that's total hired. I think it just means at a time. Oh, at a time. Okay. I would hope so. Uh, at the opening, Dr. Araya Brigham led the facility as the asylum's first director. He began to publish his methods and ideas with an in-house printing shop under the title American Journal of Insanity. Mm. Years later, the journal would be purchased by the American Medico-Psychological Association and evolve into what is still relied on heavily today by mental health treatment professionals, the American Psychiatric Journal. Oh. So it became that after it was purchased. Uh, Brigham believed that professionals weren't the only ones who should be publishing, though. He encouraged the patients at the asylum to use the press to publish The Opal, a 10-volume journal entirely created by Utica patients. Quote, Featuring prose, articles, poetry, personal accounts, and even political commentary, the patient-run publication offered an unprecedented view into the minds of patients, Possibly even more importantly, it gave those same individuals a creative outlet and an opportunity for their voices to be validated, unquote. That is amazing and not at all what other people were doing. Yes. So one thing I found with a lot of my sources Uh is that this place was groundbreaking. Yeah. Now, to be clear, 
a lot of my sources, because this place was so groundbreaking, tried to justify a lot of things. I am not justifying their shitty-ass treatment. Right. Well, but, that happens with every yeah. psychiatric institution that we cover. Is but they have some good things at the beginning. This is way better than it was. It's still not great. It's it's yeah. a wonderful form of therapy that doesn't currently involve a lobotomy or electric shock treatment. So, Patients with concerns ranging from bumps on the head to sadness because of the death of a loved one to religious excitement would receive the same level of care as someone today who would be diagnosed with challenges like schizophrenia or who had committed violent crimes due to mental health concerns. Religious excitement. Immediately, I thought of last week's episode, and you're like, oh, my God. Well, you're having sex. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, furthermore, people with illnesses that could make them violent were being treated side by side with those that were not. Oh. So, these are a lot of the same things we've seen in a lot of these type of locations. Um, they did do electroshock therapy. Yeah. They did do lobotomies. Like, yeah. as as groundbreaking as they were, it's still the mid-1800s, you know? Also, at the time, those were considered groundbreaking. Yep. As time went on, disorders that were thought to be more acute would continue to be treated in Utica, while more chronic patients would be transferred to the nearby Willard Asylum for the Chronic Insane in Ovid. That being said, there were plenty of cases where someone may require calming techniques and in the event that they would not be able to you know maintain their own like safety or the safety of others yeah they had to figure out what they were going to do because there was an average employee to patient ratio of 10 to 1 right so when i worked for a company that dealt with traumatic brain injury uh victims Mm -hmm. like you would have ratios of what people needed based on the level of care they needed Right. So somebody might be a one-to-one, like you need to be with them, one person all the time, just that staff. Or like somebody might be a four-to-one, where if you have a house of four people, they're Mm -hmm. four-to-one. They mostly do everything by themselves. You're just there to kind of help out when needed. Yeah. And you can have only one staff in there. I have never personally worked in a scenario where somebody would be like a ten-to-one ratio. That's too much. Oh. So... Uh, leading into this, I would like to point out that one of my sources from 2015, uh, Exploring Upstate, had a paragraph that I hate. I'm going to read it now. Okay. Um, while the treatments of methods of Utica may seem inhumane today, for the time period, they were thought to be incredibly progressive and based steadfastly on providing individualized care and support. Many seem to believe that treatment centers in the 19th century were evil and barbaric almost as if they were intended to be that way. But records and journals from the time period indicate employees at Utica who lived right in the wards truly cared for patients and loved their jobs. Our methods today may seem more advanced and compassionate, but what was happening inside the walls of the asylum at Utica were advanced and compassionate methods of the 1800s. So, the same thing we were kind of saying, but, dude. I I don't like that tone. I don't like the tone. Stop, uh, Stop apologizing for the methods of the 1800s. Right. I see what you're saying, but then don't, it's, it's very cringy. It's not a good look. You it know? is very cringy. Like, yes, it was, like I just said, they were considered advanced methods at the time. However, that doesn't make them not horrible. 
it's like when we talk about watching, like to make it a super basic comparison. Mm-hmm. When we talk about watching television shows or movies or something from the 80s or 90s and we're like, right. Ugh, and we go, oh, well, it's of its time. That doesn't make it okay. Right. It, it was never okay. It was just more acceptable at the, the time. time. Yep, exactly. Anyway. Possibly one of the most infamous tactics set forth today is uh, a cringeworthy tale. It was one of the ways they helped with the 10 to 1 ratio. Okay. Also, uh, Brigham, the first director, did not believe in restraints. He did not like people to be tied down, which is good. Yeah. His answer for it was not good, Mm. and that is the Utica crib. The Utica crib wasn't invented at Utica, but Brigham was one of the first in the nation to use it as a result, bringing it to the forefront of modern psychiatric care, which led to it being named after the facility. Okay. Invented in 1845 by Dr. M.H. Aubinel of the Marseille Lunatic Asylum in France, the Utica, Utica crib has been described as a covered bed. Which is a really, like, way to just shine over the problems with it. I saw pictures of what it is. It's a cage. It's a cage. So it's just barely big enough for the average size adult. It is 18 inches deep, 6 feet long, and 3 feet wide. It's a wooden cage that literally looks like a crib. They tried to pretty it up with the bars, like, being, like, made like crib bars. Uh Uh-huh. Um, and so it was intended to provide a respite to anyone experiencing excitement thought to be dangerous. So they would put people in this so that instead of tying them down, like, with restraints on their wrists and feet, mm-hmm. they would put them in a cage. Not a very big cage. Oh, no. my gosh. I would freak out because I would be claustrophobic. Now, it is open because it's barred. Like it's, yeah, it's but crypt, you still but can't still. get out. Yeah. So... The third medical superintendent at Utica undid the work of the predecessors and did away with the cage. It was no longer used after they took over. Uh, When on January 18th, 1887, Dr. George Alder Bloomer proudly announced that there wasn't a single Utica crib left on campus. Thank goodness. So it ran for about 40 years as an option. That's not a good look. Um, When checking to see if there were any out of the ordinary for a medical facility deaths on the site. Mm -hmm. I did have a couple of sources say there were deaths due to a fire. Okay. Um, Quote, in 1852, the asylum's first floor stairway caught on fire. Unfortunately, while attempting to salvage certain items from the building, a doctor and a firefighter were killed during the process. In a strange twist of events, four days later, a barn on the asylum's property caught on fire. If you're thinking there's no way this was a coincidence, you're thinking correctly. Eventually, a man by the name of William Spears would come forward and confess to setting both of the fires because he was upset with one of the asylum supervisors. Spears was a former patient of Unica Asylum and was convicted arsonist who would even occasionally work in the building, unquote. Now, this source and the other source did not cite where they got their information. Uh I tried to do a little digging. I did find a clip from the American Journal of Psychiatry Mm -hmm. with a um, title that stated... The case of William Spears' arson, plea of insanity. And then they have a little bit here. On the 14th day of July, 1857, so the source was off by about five years from the start. I mean, yeah. Yeah. At half past seven o'clock in the morning, 
the cupola of New York State Lunatic Asylum at Utica was discovered to be on fire. The flame spread inwardly towards the Great Central Building, the greater portion of which, unfortunately, with a narrow economy, had been constructed from bottom to top with framed partitions instead of brick or other incombustible materials, which therefore fed rather than opposed the conflagration. Everything but the external stone walls and the fine Grecian portico and pediment of the main front was destroyed. And even these, substantial as they were, suffered severely. And then they get into a weird thing where they describe the fire and it gets like... so. Um, the roof of the east wing and part of its interior were partially destroyed, aside from the possible injury to the 550 occupants of the buildings, and from certain destruction or serious damage of value property, both public and private, the scene was one of great interest, and the fiery spectacle, although in broad daylight, was sublime as the eruption of a volcano or the trembling of an earthquake, and quite as unexpected as either. The extreme sultriness of the day, almost overpowering human exertion, and the want of efficient means of reaching and applying abundant supply of water in the attic tanks by the fire engines, thus compelling the exclusive use of buckets, prolonged the fury of the flames until finally they were subdued by the application of steam from the heating apparatus of the asylum. Sounds like that person likes fires as much as the patient who set the fire. (laughs) So basically, there was a big old fire, it took forever to go out, but I can't find any sources that say that people died. But some of them were stuck in cages. Well, but it's a front hallway fire. They did get it out. I mean, but it took a while in smoke, inhalation, and stuff. This is why you don't put people in cages. Also, uh, apparently William Spears is a very common name, so it made it very hard to dig for stuff. So I am acknowledging my limitations in that as well. Okay. So there was a big fire... I couldn't find any non-standard deaths that you expect to hear of from a facility of this kind. Mm -hmm. Also, apparently, uh, like, that's a whole thing where people like to just make up deaths when they can't find anything out of the ordinary. There may have been many deaths that people just haven't talked about because if they were patients, a lot of things got locked up when HIPAA was created. So unless family members are willing to talk about it, you're really not going to find out about it. Right. Yep. So, in 1978, patients were transferred to other buildings and the old main was closed. There aren't a lot of stories about what happened past the, like, mid-1800s to now, which leads everybody and me to kind of believe that things were fairly standard. It was not any terrible place compared to, like, say, the Trans-Allegheny or other places that were known to be really horrible. Right, where the government literally stepped in and was like, no. Exactly. Um, in 2004, a section of the first floor of the building was remade as a records archive and repository for the New York Office of Mental Health. It has remained a private residence for the most part. Uh, I believe it, if I said it was a National Historic Register in 1977. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's government ran and owned but it's not open to the public. Okay, you said private residence, like people live there? No, not private residence. That's the wrong word. A private Privately facility. Owned. Private faci- Like, it's not privately owned. All right, how am I wording this? It's not privately owned. It's okay. a government thing. Okay. <laughs> but it is not open to the public. You can't just walk in just to walk in. Okay. Like It's I'm a government to- building. But you can walk into some government buildings. Oh, yeah. yeah that's, I, I'm trying to be clear that you can't go in there. 
Okay. Basically. Um, in the summer of 2014, the asylum in Utica announced the opportunity for public tours. Uh, and such an overwhelming attendance showed that hundreds had to be turned away. They couldn't make it. Oh, that's sad to show up and then be like, nope, no room uh, for you. They did it in 2016 as well. Uh, what could people be so excited about? Well, ghosts, of course. Yeah, obviously. That and the mystery of like wanting to know what it looks like inside a place that they haven't been able to access before. I mean. The human curiosity. Yeah. I love old buildings. In 2016, the old Maine Psychiatric Center Hospital opened its doors to a public tour on Monday, August 25th at 5 p.m., offering a crowd of more than 4,000 an exclusive glimpse inside the historic Utica landmark. The old Maine had last opened its door in 2010 to a crowd of only 800 individuals that were given the opportunity to see inside. The Landmark Society was not prepared for the turnout that happened, so that's how they had to turn all those people away. After a three-hour wait in line just to wind the way to the front, like, just to get near it, yeah. Uh, New York Shadow Chasers said they were finally within sight of the grand entrance, and they said it was quite a, quite a brutal journey just to wait. Some people standing in line had emergency services called because they were passing out from exhaustion. Oh, my God. I mean, I love old buildings as much as the next person, but, like, maybe know your physical limits. <laughs> uh, it was a daytime thing. They did not extend to, like, nighttime tours. Mm -hmm. They did not allow it to be, like, a paranormal thing. They were quick tours that they just showed you around. They did not acknowledge any statements of the horrors that may have happened. You're they in, were, you're out, you're out of there. Exactly. Um, <laughs> those who have been brave enough to explore the abandoned halls and stupid enough because it's totally off limits... Yeah. Uh, tell stories of, if you do manage to get in there at night, you can hear chilling screams. That's the biggest report, is sounds of screaming. Gotta love it when you hear screaming. Others who have been around outside in the dark uh -huh. say that you can see people looking out through the windows inside the building on floors they know people aren't on. Like shadow figures looking out of the windows. Ugh. Uh, a vlogger known as Mark B. Paranormal posted a video to YouTube visiting the property of Utica State Hospital. He did not get in for a tour and instead chose to walk around the exterior while doing a uh, necrophonic session. For those of you who don't know, necrophonic is an information technology and communication app used for communication and EVP research. It's like a spirit box, but it's an app. Is that like what you used when you traveled to California? Similar, but not the same. Okay. So it, um, like the spirit box, it's like it's constantly searching for words. Yeah. And it kind of echoes them back. So you have to, you still have to do the same thing like you do with mine where you have to let it sit for a while mm -hmm. and like get rid of all the extra like white noise type of thing before it calibrates itself i guess for lack of a better term yeah and then you can start asking questions like you would with a spirit box and you're supposed to pick up on the words as they come whereas the app i use just pops up words okay so i side note question how do you feel about the reliability of spirit box like apps i, I guess i don't know why they would be any worse or better than a spirit box 
Well, with a spirit box, it's literally taking like radio waves. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I did. There's something more. I feel realistic about the analog uh, uh, about the spirit box versus an app because an app is uh, like apps do so many things that I just I don't know. Like you can't program a spirit box to say words. But the thing is, is if you look into a lot of those apps, people can try to debunk them by going into the programming. I don't know enough about the programming. Okay. But if an app is being held reliable by this many different people, like this is an app that people use all of the time. Okay. That if you're going to have investigator investigative groups use it, they're going to do the research into whether or not it's reliable. It's not like it's just popping up like words or names all the time just to freak you out and make you think a place is haunted. Or it would do that everywhere. And it doesn't. And it doesn't. I okay. can run my I can run my app like outside randomly and it, nothing will happen. It'll just stay and run and run and run and nothing will happen. Okay. Well, we should run this after the podcast and see what happens. Well, we can't. We, it wouldn't really work in here. Why? Because it's computer, computer, computer. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, there's a lot of electronics in this room. <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. Like there's, you have to recognize the limitations of it just like with a spirit box. If you're in the middle of a place with 800 different radio stations so that it's really popular, a spirit box isn't going to do anything for you. Well, that's not necessarily true because the faster you make it go, the the less likely it is to be able to come up with individual words. Because it's flipping too fast to be able to come up with, like, John. But then you get in, see, this is a whole thing. Then you get into the whole conversation of, did it actually say that? Or are you coming up with that in your head? So, like, I don't know that it is any less or more reliable than a spirit box. There's also whole places, the Duluth Paranormal Society doesn't like spirit boxes, if I recall correctly. Okay. I was just like, asking. No, I'm saying, like, I like the, it. as soon as you start doing that, uh-huh. then you have to question the reliability of all of those things that we use. So the question is, do you, now my computer's going dead. Um, the question is, do you accept it for what it is, recognize that it might not be something? Mm-hmm. But I don't think that, like, if you're asking, do I think that it's programmed to make me want to think something's haunted when it isn't? No. Yeah. Okay. Okay. No. Because otherwise, like I said, otherwise it would do that all the time. It would be popping up with, you'd be, you know, in the middle of, Starbucks and it would tell you that something's telling you something's somebody killed me like you know it's not (laughs) I would hope it at least say something about coffee if it was in Starbucks but that's like again if it's spirits it's just it's too I don't I think that well I'm down for a healthy dose of skepticism if you're gonna be skeptical of that then you should be skeptical of a lot of different things that we still rely on I don't think that analog is necessarily better than this in that scenario okay Okay, so Mark B, paranormal, used the used the necrophonic session. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, in his thing, he literally said, "Smash that like button." We haven't said that in a while, so we probably should smash that like button. Smash that subscribe button. Uh, so while walking around the fence on the exterior of the property, he attempted to communicate with the spirits. Mm-hmm. He recorded the whole thing, like the the whole thing. He didn't cut parts out so that you only got the juicy bits. Um, he was very respectful and nice, asked them to communicate if they felt comfortable, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I think he handled it very well. Some of the highlights I thought were 
Because there were times when he said things and nothing answered. It like, or you might get like a flash of a word, but it's a word that didn't really make sense. So he just you kind of chalk that stuff up to like we were talking about just random interference, right? Um, so he at one point he asked, "Who is here with me right now?" And he got the answer: Ben, Tom, we spot up front. So he got two two definite names where he hadn't gotten names before, right? He answered, are you, well, were you a patient here? He didn't really get anything in response there. Um, At one point, it sounded like maybe it said attacked me good, but again, that just sounded more like random interference rather than definite words. Mm -hmm. Then he answered, are you still here? And it said, all right, hurt, and dirt. I couldn't find a definite answer, and my thought was, is this one of those places that had a graveyard on site? Right. So then dirt. Would like, make are sense. you still yeah. here? Yeah, I got hurt. And <laughs> I was put in the dirt. And then my favorite was, do you like visitors coming here? And it very clearly sounded like, it's right, buddy. Told you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, are you trapped here? He got, who ask? And... How many spirits are here right now? He got, I won't repeat them. Don't want to come in. Oh, ew. But again, that could also be like they don't let people in. So maybe it's the spirit just being like, you don't want to come in. If you, You're not if allowed. You look, at all these no, look at all these no trespassing signs. You don't want to come in. You don't want to get in trouble. It's the ghost looking out. Also, if you heard that crack, that was my hip. It sounded like it came through the microphone. <laughs> I am now old. Um, I couldn't find any entries for the location on two of our favorite sources mm-hmm. for personal encounters, hauntedplaces.org or hauntedhouses.com. And while the internet frequently lists it as haunted, you can't find a lot of posts or videos with experiences, and this seems to be the reason why. It's not open or available. Yeah, it's a government building. I found a Facebook page on this, and we should acknowledge that this place does not want paranormal investigators lurking around. A post states, I, as a page administrator, receive multiple inquiries a year from ghost chasers and thrill seekers looking to hunt the paranormal of Old Main. Many of us grew up hearing stories and urban legends about Old Main, but I would like to ask that we treat Old Main and other former asylums with the care that we might extend to a battlefield. Many people died, sometimes in horrible ways, but they suffered and their family suffered. In life or death, haunted or not, I ask that you extend your respects. Please also remember that there are still active mental health care facilities on the old main campus. There, oh. are, there are not like facilities for people, but like the archives and records that they established. Right. Please no para- there are no paranormal tours offered. To my knowledge, the state does not allow any ghost hunters, psychics, or mediums on site for the purpose of paranormal studies. Repeat inquiries to this page of this nature will not be answered. So... If this is a place near you and you're thinking of checking it out, uh, probably don't. Yeah. I mean, eventually, maybe they'll have another tour. You can be one of 4,000 people. Maybe Stand out there for in. three hours. Yeah, go early for sure. But you probably won't have any time to do any investigating, but you might get to see a cool old building. There you go. And so that's all the story I could find on it. So it's listed regularly as one of the most like haunted hospitals. Uh-huh. But... Just not a lot of information. The 
The one thing that I did find, and I, I think I've thought about this before, but I don't think we've ever talked about it on the podcast. Okay. Which is the fact that this is called an asylum. Right. And so the term asylum, which we all have negative connotations to now, is actually like an asylum is meant to instill confidence, safety, and security. Uh, it's like, uh, I don't know when it changed to being a, like when exactly it changed to being a good thing to a bad thing. Like there's a Buffy quote where Spike had been shot by the initiative mm-hmm. with the like dart. Yeah. And they'd been chasing him down for forever. And he knocks on Giles's door and he's like, you got to let me in. I need asylum. Oh yeah. To be granted asylum. Yeah. yeah. And uh, one of the other Scoobies was like, clearly like meant it as a negative standpoint. Mm. Like when did it change from being a bad, a good thing to a bad thing? I think it's all in the context. Like if someone, if someone were to say, I need to be granted asylum, like that is a good thing. If someone say it is an asylum, people used that word for these kind of places so much that after after the 1980s, it really became associated with the place where bad things happen. Legit. Okay, yep. So I just, it's something that we've talked about a few of these places yeah. at this point, and I don't know that that's ever come up. About, yeah, the original origins of, of the, the word. word. Yep. Mm-hmm. So on a skeptic scale of para to normal, para being five, normal being one, Fully acknowledging that I did not have a lot of actual paranormal stuff to give you there because I picked this location and then I was so far in that yeah. I wasn't willing to give it up. Thinking that you'd find something. Uh, and they done that. What are you going to give uh, Old Main? I'm going to give it a three. I'm going to give it a three because I would like some more information, but I bet it is haunted. If there are haunted places, this seems like a place that probably would be. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just going to give it, like, straight down the middle. It could be. You know what? I didn't know what I was going to rate it. I like that reasoning. I'm also going to go with the three. I Thank think you. mid-range. Thank you. I think that makes sense. Awesome. All right. What do you got for me this week? Well, as I said at the beginning, I'm in Ohio. <laughs> and tonight I'm going to tell you about Ohio University in Athens, Ohio. Okay. So, Ohio University is a public research university established in 1804. And it was not only the first university chartered in Ohio, but it also was the first to be chartered by an act of Congress, which happened in 1787. So, Congress decided to open an educational facility? Yep. They basically were like, hey, there's this part of the country that we don't really have any universities. Let's maybe uh, let's maybe put one in there. Alrighty. It was officially approved in 1804 and was open to students in 1809, making it not only the oldest university in Ohio, but one of the oldest public universities in the United States. All right. Ohio University is comprised of nine campuses, but as I said, we're specifically going to focus on the Athens campus. And the development of the Athens campus started in 1812 with the erection of the university's central building, uh, Manasa Coulter Hall, or just Coulter Hall is what they call it now. Okay. Construction started during the Jefferson presidency, so you'll see a lot of like New England and early American Federalist themes in its architecture, 
which today remains largely untouched. Near Coulter Hall, around the centralized lawn known as the College Green, you will also find Wilson Hall and McGuffey Hall. And these were the three original primary structures of the university, with additional structures having been added throughout the years, such as the Templeton Blackburn Auditorium and the Galebreath Chapel and Ellis Hall and Chubb Hall. (laughs) Uh, I... When I went to college, I got so annoyed that so many buildings are just named after rich white men. No, not not even that. Just they're named after people. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna just call it the science building. <laughs> like I don't, I don't need this. There's too many words. <laughs> no, I don't even remember what it is. But at UMD, there is a Cena, Cena Hall. And no one really knew how to pronounce it. Some people call it Chino Hall. Some people call it Cena Hall. Cena Hall. It's someone's name and no one knew how to pronounce it. I think in general, uh, most of the people I knew referred to it as Cena Hall. We called it Cena. Yeah. Okay. But still, just call it Hall (laughs) 1. Blue Hall. Red Hall. Let's go back to kindergarten and just go by colors. Magenta Hall. Magenta. No, that'd be too hard to spell. (laughs) All right. Anyway, to the east, you will find the East Green, of course, which is home to 12 residence halls and some of the oldest residential buildings on campus. The South Green contains 18 residential halls, as well as several facilities like the football stadium, the ice arena, and the aquatic center, which for some reason I was thinking like an aquarium. It's not. It's where the swimming pool is. Pools. (laughs) We never called it something so fancy as the aquatic center. (laughs) The West Green is home to the dining hall, academic research center, as well as the other sports like uh, softball, track and field, baseball, soccer, field hockey. We get it. You know sports, Brittany. You wouldn't even name all those sports if it wasn't on the page in front of you. (laughs) That's true. I'd be like, what sports? What sports and where's the theater? I, I know, don't know. I am the same exact way, so I, I know. I know. <laughs> Additional facilities you will find on campus are the Lausch heating plant, an on campus plant that provides heat to all the buildings on campus, the Athena Cinema, which is an on campus early art deco styled century old movie theater owned by the university. Nice. Awesome. As well as the Edwards Accelerator Laboratory, which is a particle accelerator used for nuclear physics and astrophysics research. How cool is that? Right smack in some place in Ohio. I don't know if it's in the middle of Ohio. It's going to explode. We're far enough away. It's fine. (laughs) We'll just travel across the border to see Cara in Canada. We're like, we're... We're refugees now. (laughs) We're seeking asylum. (laughs) Exactly. Yes, we're seeking asylum. And, of course, there is the Ridges. The Ridges is the former Athens Mental Hospital, which was acquired by the university in the 90s. This Victorian-styled area has since been repurposed as a university complex with classrooms and administrative offices, and it's surrounded by a large nature preserve. Beautiful. And it's likely no surprise to our listeners that in addition to being known 
for its inhumane treatment through the use of lobotomies and electroshock treatment, uh, it's also known to be quite haunted. No way. No way. I can't remember the last time we had a story like this. (laughs) Certainly wasn't 10 minutes ago. (laughs) And thus we begin part one of my two-part stories of the Athen campus of Ohio University. All right, let's do this. So this week we're talking about the ridges. Construction began on the Athens Lunatic Asylum Asylum on November 5th, 1868. The ground on which the asylum was built was originally used as farmland, and the first iteration of the hospital covered a mere 141 acres, eventually growing to over 1,000 acres. Quite the increase. I'm trying to think of, like, I'm trying to put that many acres into a context. Like, my head. Yeah. I have no idea. I have because no like, representative of how many a I have acres a is. little bit less than an acre. Like an acre isn't as big as it sounds. Right. You know, like it's not that big. But then I'm just like, okay, so like more than a thousand of my housing plots like everywhere. Yeah, can uh, yeah, I can't even that's fathom. A lot. That yeah, that's too big. Unfathomable. Unfathomable. <laughs> You're like me when I try to pronounce unanimable. <laughs> The original building for the asylum was designed by architect, architect, now I'm just going to say things wrong, (laughs) was designed by architect uh, Levi T. Schofield, with the grounds being designed by a man named Herman Herlin, both having been inspired by the 19th century physician, Dr. Thomas Story Kirkbride, who wrote a book on hospital design called on the construction, organization, and general arrangements of hospitals for the insane. I can't be sure, but I think Kirkbride was in the story for Trans Allegheny. That makes sense because he was his the Kirkbride system was very very popular. Okay, yep, yep, yep. That's why the name sounded familiar. Yeah. Yep. So in which, as part of the Kirkbride system, he stressed the need for exposure to natural light and fresh air circulation. His buildings were designed in a bat wing style, which is where staggered wings extended out from the center. And this would guarantee that fresh air and sunshine would flow through each section of the building, which makes sense because I believe that that's what they did. And maybe Nopaming because that's a bat wing style. Is it? I think so. It was extremely popular at the time. Okay. This this just is all coming together. It's all coming together. (laughs) In accordance with this design, the administrative offices were located in the center of the structure with the wings housing the men on one side and the women on the other, each containing its own separate dining rooms. Originally built a house, you know, we love to say what it was originally built for, uh, originally built to house 853 patients, the Athens Lunatic Asylum began operation on January 9th, 1874. Uh, though within just a few years, it would be renamed to the Athens Hospital for the Insane. And then, as I said at the beginning of the episode, they had it had like nine different names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just sticking with these two, and I kind of go back and forth. I think it's important to note, though, with a lot of these facilities, when they are the ones that change the names, it generally means they're trying to keep up with modern medicine. Oh, yeah. And the um, the words that we find acceptable to describe people who need help. They're trying to keep it PC. They're trying to keep it PC. Yeah. Yeah. And 
like medical journals and medical definitions are always changing. Right. So especially during this time. So if they want to be learning so much so fast. And if they're wanting to try to like keep a credible like reputation, right. Then they have to stay on top of it while everything else does. Yeah. Like changes with it. Yep. Um, I if I recall correctly, I feel like a lot of the names were just switching of the exact same words over and over again so it's it's not even that they changed the, the to keep updated they just changed because they were like eh, we're I'm rebranding bored with this one. <laughs> we're just gonna do a little rebrand because we got a bad reputation because our social media is down and we need to get back up yeah so let's try a, a real quick rebrand spread smash that like button <laughs> So unlike many of the asylums that we cover, this hospital was not self-sustaining. Though it did function much like any outside community. Originally, it had livestock, fields for farming, gardens, an orchard, greenhouses, a dairy barn, and a steam heat plant. And per usual, much of the work done in maintaining the crops and the livestock was done by the patients, which was actually another part of the Kirkbride system, and it was seen as a form of therapy. Okay, yep, yep. Which seems all well and good until you hear some of the stats of who the patients were and why they were there. All right, give me these stats. How many women were hysterical and <laughs> needed, just really needed uh, to like have men that respect them? All right, so this is according to Wikipedia. The first patient to be sent to the asylum was a 14-year-old girl thought to be possessed by a demon. In reality, she just had epilepsy. And actually, epilepsy was considered to be one of the main causes of insanity, quote-unquote, during the first few years of the hospital. Quote, the first annual report lists 31 men and 19 women as having their insanity caused by epilepsy. General ill health accounted for the admission of 39 men and 44 women in the first three years of the hospital's operation, unquote. If you think about how many treatments we have for people with epilepsy now, and like it, I mean, it's it's still a big deal, but it's treatable in many situations. It is but so treatable. Think about how terrifying that would have been if you didn't know what it was. I'm not saying go to possession, but I'm just saying like all of a sudden you're like, what's happening? Why is my daughter like, I'm not saying like send her to an asylum. I'm just saying like right. how terrifying would that be as a patient where you're like, or as a parent where you're like, ah. What, why is, why, what is happening? Yeah, That's no. terrifying. I, I fully get that. All I can think of is our friend Joe, because he has epilepsy. Mm-hmm. And, like, he would be in an asylum. Well, an epilep- epilepsy presents itself in different ways. It does. Because sometimes you just sit there, and you don't move, and you don't talk, and you're just, like, zo- it looks like you're zoning out. Yeah, because there's a um quick PSA, and I might be wrong in describing this, but... Um, there is a disorder called tuberosclerosis, which is like um, it develops very young mm-hmm. and it causes a body to develop non-cancerous tumors. Okay. But they develop like all over the body, including in the brain. Oh. And like I've like there's been children who they like parents think they're just like zoning out and it's a seizure and you yeah. don't know unless. And then there's people who are like, I only knew that this was a thing. Because 
my friend had, you know, a kid in her daycare with the same exact thing. And she's like, oh, that's something else. Go to the doctor. Like, that's right. This is all terrifying. It is absolutely terrifying, though. I will say Karen from um, My Favorite Murder, she has epilepsy and she talks about it. And she's like, you know what? I would get so mad if someone called an ambulance because I had like an attack. Some people will have that on their medical alert bracelets. Like, do, not, do not call the it ambulance. It is so expensive and it passes. Like, just make sure I'm safe. Yep. And then l- l- let, let it, it go. go. It'll yep. go. <sighs> if this is the first time this happens and you don't know if someone is epileptic, I mean, obviously call for emergency services. I'm but just if saying. You don't, but check for a medical alert check. bracelet. Yeah. Yeah. Or necklace. Check. So in addition to epilepsy, other ailments that could get you sent to the Athens Asylum were alcohol addiction, menopause, and tuberculosis. Okay, so they're all in the same vein. <laughs> so like one's a, like one's a genetic disorder uh, that can cause addiction. Uh-huh. One, one, one just is happens just to nature. All women. <laughs> and one is a viral and disease. One is a viral, yeah. That's fine. Okay, in all fairness, eventually the (laughs) hospital grounds had expanded to include the Beacon School, Athens Receiving Hospital, Center Hospital, as well as the tubercular ward. So some people, if you had tuberculosis, you were sent there. I don't know why they posed it like that, but I thought it was funny. (laughs) Yep. Tuberculosis, menopause, alcoholism. The, the, the big three. You know, the big three. That's what they call them, the big three. <laughs> so in addition to menopause, uh, women were also sent to the asylum for a variety of ridiculous reasons, uh, such as, uh, let's see, puerperal, puerperal condition. Um, And this, I had to look it up because I'm like, I don't know what that means. And it says, during or related to the period of about six weeks after childbirth, during which the mother's reproductive organs return to their original non-pregnant conditions. So basically while their body was healing, they were sent to an asylum. Yeah. And taken away from their baby during the most critical point of the baby's life. Yeah. I literally have... I have a whole face on right now that's just that I don't know what to say. Like, unbelievable eye roll. <laughs> um, another reason that women could be sent to the asylum is, quote unquote, change of life. Um, Whatever that means. <laughs> Saturn's return. 29 years. Yeah, so I don't know what that means, but 32 women were sent there because of it. And menstrual derangements. PMS. I'm guessing so. Uh, as well as postpartum depression or quote unquote hysteria. Hysteria. Uh, when in doubt, hysteria. When in doubt, hysteria it out. Uh, and this <laughs> and this was a ridiculous quote because duh. Quote, women were often institutionalized for unnecessary and outright uh, fallacious reasons. Fallacious? Fallacious? Fallacious. There we go. Fallatio. False reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Which, okay, so I think this is interesting and infuriating. We keep covering these stories that set out with things like the Kirkbride system, 
which is meant to create a safe space for healing and humanity. But then within like three years, this is the nonsense that they come up with. These are the things that are like, "Mm, I'm pretty sure that this woman just had a baby and her (laughs) reproductive organs are healing. Let's send her to an asylum. (laughs) Another report from 1876 stated that 81 men and one woman were diagnosed as insane with masturbation noted as the cause. Yeah, because enjoying yourself is a... Is not healthy? I don't, like... I guess not. Maybe they just got, like, really into it. They're just like, oh, man. The problem is they talked about it. That's yes. the problem. Yes. Just do it in the Silence. privacy of your bedroom. Exactly. You're fine. You'll never and get sent away. Don't don't go overboard. You know, keep it a, a respectable amount. But, yeah. Uh, as well as 56 men and one woman having been diagnosed due to intemperance and discipline which I googled and I think it essentially means like excessive eating and drinking I think Mm -hmm. I don't know I don't know how that's different than alcoholism but anyway well excessive eating and drinking or and or oh okay okay yeah Unsurprisingly, doctors and staff treated these various ailments with a variety of treatments such as yeah the lobotomy (laughs) hydrotherapy electroshock And early psychotropic drugs. Okay, so hydrotherapy, was that where they plunge them into the cold water baths? I think a mixture of cold and hot. It's like both. And then um, psychotropic drugs was when they figured out about like LSD. Well, no, LSD wouldn't have existed at that point. I mean, it would have existed. Mushrooms? But like mushrooms, maybe. Or like weed. Just weed. They were just like, chill out, man. Have a joint. Except for they did it really not nicely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They were just guinea pigs. Uh, And according to university records, many of the staff who assisted and or fully executed these quote-unquote treatments were wholly unqualified to do so. Of course. By the 1950s, the asylum was the town of Athens' largest employer, and it had grown to house 1,800 patients within 78 buildings. Also around this time is when we start to see a decline in the public's approval of the institution. In the 1950s, quote, research began to show that the mentally ill did not pose an inherent danger to their communities. The public became increasingly aware of the procedures like electroshock therapy and the lobotomy, which would be seen as cruel, unnecessary, and inhumane, unquote. Well, at least the public's, you know, like like you were talking about, like right. the public awareness. They finally heard about what was happening they're like oh that doesn't sound right exposés come out they're like no 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 we're not going to tolerate this with the increased popularity of talk therapy and more proven psychoactive drugs the need for these prison-like hospitals was much less than it had been before come the 1950s and eventually the hospital closed in 1993 can we talk about how it was found basically un needable <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't really needed much after the 1950s but unnecessary it took a, thank you <laughs> that was the word i was looking for uh but it didn't close until 1993 and there were still some of the more severe patients that were transferred to a different psychiatric hospital called the southeast psychiatric hospital 
now called Appalachian Behavioral Healthcare, after which the property was purchased by the University of Ohio, restored and opened for a mixed-use university development called the Ridges. The Ridges. Called the Ridges. Ruffles have ridges. Most of the buildings have been renovated into offices and classrooms, and the original administration building is now home to the Kennedy Museum of Art. In fact, a lot of the buildings, as part of the ridges, are art-based. Oh, okay. Which is phenomenal. But despite its usefulness in more modern days, remnants of the past and the horrors that occurred there can be found in many of its ghost stories. Let's hear it. The most well-known ghost story of the ridges centers around a patient named Margaret Schilling. So Margaret was accidentally locked in an attic of a seldom used building during a game of hide and seek in 1979, where she remained hidden and missing for nearly a year until a janitor found her remains on the floor. What is happening right now? Just makes me think of that uh, scary (laughs) stories to tell in the dark story about the bride who gets locked in the the chest like i wonder if this is the inspiration for that maybe maybe oh, that's a terrifying just being trapped oh that poor woman i know right oh. so due to the decomposition mm-hmm. a massive stain was left permanently oh, no. of where her body once lay a clear imprint of her hair and dress And despite numerous cleanings over the years, the stain still remains. Rip it up. Her spirit is said to be seen staring down from the window of the room where her body was found, as well as seen attempting to escape. Oh. And is also known to wander the building at night. Oh, the poor woman. I know. And although Margaret Schilling is the only ghost that the students of Ohio University have given a name to, this does not mean that she's the only ghost there. The asylum is also allegedly haunted by the ghost of the impoverished patients who were buried in the anonymous graves in the potter's field. Quote, there are 1,930 people buried at the three cemeteries located at the ridges. Of those, 700 women and 959 men lay under the headstones marked only with a number. Unquote. Oh, so sad. Other former patients are said to appear as full-bodied apparitions standing in the empty wings of the former hospital, and folks claim to hear disembodied voices and screams in the middle of the night. Did they happen to say if the full-bodied apparitions are like an out-of-the-corner-of-your-eye thing or you can see them straight on? I would just be curious to know. They didn't. Okay. So maybe... If anybody from Ohio listens, we talk about you a lot, the state... (laughs) So if you could tell me, is it is it like in front of your face or is it side? Because I almost think like the side of the eye full bodied would be more terrifying than like straight out in front of you. Right, because you look and then they were gone. Exactly. Uh, people also report hearing squeaking gurneys and rattling door handles, as well as seeing strange lights, electrical anomalies, vanishing spectral images, and objects being moved by unseen hands. Yeah. This is, however, not the only haunted building on the Athens campus of Ohio University. And to find out more, you're going to have to tune in next Wednesday for part two. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, 
I'm going to give my rating. Uh huh. After my after I give my rating, I have a couple of thoughts. Okay. Okay. So this is just on the ridges. Just is just on the ridges. I'm going to give it a four. Yeah. And that is because, I mean, I tend to believe that medical facilities. We know people passed away there. There's mm-hmm. just no way, two ways around it, especially now knowing that they had a tuberculosis ward as well. I know. They barely even covered that. I know. So I'm going to say four based on that and based on the fact that the while they're not super descriptive of stories, right? it seems like there's consistency in the stories told. Yes. So I'm going to go with a four. I'm going to give it a four as well. All right, yeah. A lot of people died there, and they just really skim over the reasons why. We're on the same page. We're on the same page tonight. Uh, In every way. I'm feeling it. Except in analog versus digital. We are on the same page (laughs) entirely. (sighs) All right, so my two thoughts. So the first one is a serious thought, which is we've talked about a few different mental health facilities, I do that post that I posted about or that I talked about Uh from Facebook, I do think it is important. Now, obviously, if people own buildings and they're willing to open it up to a paranormal investigation, you know, you do you boo. But I would just like to reiterate because we haven't talked about it in a while. If a location that we cover does not want you to do the thing, don't do the thing. We do not advocate for trespassing, and we want you to be respectful at all times. Yes. Throwing that out there. Left of skeptic wants you to be respectful and not get arrested. (laughs) Yeah. Please don't get arrested on our behalf. Second thought. Do you know they're coming to take me away by uh, the Old Crow Medicine show? That's not originally by... I know it's not, but that's the version I know. Oh, okay. Yeah, I do. that has been playing in my head all this entire time we've been talking. Remember when you ran away and I got on my knees and begged you not to leave because I'd go berserk? So that's that's just just I needed to share that with, with you and everyone. I'm fairly certain that the original singer of that is from Minnesota. Is he the same guy who does Tiptoe Through the Tulips? Tiptoe Through the Tulips. That is also a creepy song. I know. That guy's from Minnesota. They're coming to take me away. Ha ha. Uh-huh. They're, They're coming, coming to take, take me away. Ho ho. Ha ha. To the funny farm where life is beautiful, beautiful all the time. And, and trees and flowers and chirping birds. They're coming to take me away. <laughs> Basket weavers who twiddle their thumbs and their toes and they're coming to take me away (laughs) and they just sit and smile yeah uh well that was upsetting it's so great don't listen to this if you're at at nighttime that was really scary i hate that song (laughs) Uh, anyway um so no i've got a couple more haunted location suggestions but i have not been able to fully dive into them yet okay so i have no listener suggestions or listener stories for us this week i feel like i'm gonna have to give you my sister's uh listener suggestion because i just keep not doing it and andrea (laughs) i know (laughs) and i'm sorry 
If you have a listener suggestion or a story of your own that you would like to share, we would love to hear it. You can do so by sending us an email, leftofskeptic at gmail.com. You can also visit our website, www.leftofskeptic.com, and click the Listener Stories tab on the top of the page. You can also click the link tree in our bio. You can choose to share your information if you're comfortable or want a shout-out. Otherwise, you can remain anonymous. We just ask that you please include your pronouns. Yeah, and since it's been a while, and we also didn't do this last week when Kara was on my pronouns, she, her. My pronouns, she, her. You can also follow us on social media. We are on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter at Left of Skeptic, and Facebook at Left of Skeptic Podcast. Well, we want to thank you all for joining us this spooky Wednesday. Um, I'm not going to announce it quite yet, but just know that we have another super special guest coming on in probably a little less than a month, and I'm really excited about it. Oh, I was also like, are you going to tell me who the special guest is? But I do know who you're talking about. And it's a long time coming. So I am very, very, very excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All righty. Well, thank you all for joining us this Spooky Wednesday. We love you and appreciate you. It's true. We do. Happy Spooky Wednesday. Happy Spooky Wednesday. Okay. Bye. Bye. You know, you've been really putting off the whole Happy Spooky Wednesday the last couple of weeks. You've you're been right. like, I know. You're like, I, Happy Spooky Wednesday. I fucking know. The Left of Skeptic podcast is written and hosted by Kayla Moria and Brittany Lind. This week's episode is edited by me. Brittany Lind. The Left of Skeptic music is by Dave Melling and Emily Havoc, and our artwork is by Al LeBlanc. Okay, bye! <coughs> Let me clear my throat. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>